So very lovely to, to be here again. It's been a few weeks uh, since I've been in the Dharma Hall and it's always very, very happy to, to be with you all. Um, deep and warm welcome to all of you, wherever, wherever you are, whatever the external weather is like and whatever the internal weather is like. Yeah, we can bring a, a sense of, of welcoming uh, to that and appreciation for the possibility to be here to that yeah. and um, I see some people are already putting some greetings in the chat that's always really lovely to have a sense of uh, our community gathering where people are and um, who they are so of course you're welcome to do that if you wish and just feeling that sense of uh, community yeah gathering greeting uh, at the same time gathering ourselves uh, individually and communally uh, gathering ourselves to be here uh, the session today will include a a half hour of practice together and then some reflections and some teachings and um, time for questions after that. So I'd like to invite us to take a few moments to feel into our intention at the beginning of the session to get a sense of what brings me here today. What is it that I'd like to um, nourish in myself and in the world? Yeah. What is it that I'd like to be supported by and what is it that I wish to support? Taking a few moments to feel that intention. And then inviting you to share that intention with um, all of us here. So you can do that via the chat if you wish. And you can also unmute and say it into the space if you wish. Yeah, both of those are possibilities. Just giving words to our intention for this time. Yeah, so we already have caring, healing and hope. To let go and access my inner peace. A foundation for humane rationality. Mm -hmm. Gratitude freedom and love to be still we may be feeling into our own intention we can also open to the intentions of others coming in, flowing in and feel how they impact us to allow space for discomfort to regulate and turn towards kindness Mm. 
So you can feel wisdom and love amidst grief. Feel these intentions maybe resonating with us, touching us as they come in. Feel that network of the intentions shared between us. Kindness to myself to allow an opening of the heart to myself and others. Compassion to self and others. Yeah. So with these, um, there's another community and connection. So with this, our network of intentions, yeah, that are here, that are shared, that are holding us. Let's uh, flow into our practice together. Let those intentions support us as we, um, if you're not already in um, a supportive posture for meditation, finding that posture and settling into it. So finding your posture, settling into your posture, making any adjustments that are needed, so that the body can be as supported and stable and steady as possible. Feeling as we do this how the awareness is coming more fully into the body, more deeply into the body. And inviting it even more fully, more deeply. Letting the awareness come into the sensations of contact between the body and that which supports the body. Body in the seat, the body in the ground.
and letting those sensations of contact be a place where we gather and collect the awareness into the body root and ground the awareness in the body through the sensations of contact Feeling the immediacy and stability of the contact sensations. Body resting into the contact and also into that which is supporting it. The seat, the ground. Feeling that contact and letting the awareness really root into it. Gently and gradually opening the awareness from the contact areas to the whole base of the body. And from the waist down or from the buttocks down, feeling that whole base of the body in contact with the support of seat and ground. And that whole base of the body Resting into the support and awareness, filling up, grounding, collecting in that base of the body. Stable and steady. open to feel the weight of the body resting into the base of the body and then that base of the body resting into the support of the earth and from the base of the body the upper body grows up 
And the awareness spreads through the rest of the body. include the whole of the body whole of the body here and we're tuning in through the body space Tuning in to that stability of the base of the body. The stability and steadiness of the body simply sitting. Present here. A stability and rootedness. And at the same time open through the whole body. sensitive to the whole body. If it's helpful, we can just drop in the phrase or the image or the felt sense. The body sitting here like a mountain. Steady. Stable. Sitting here through sun and rain, through wind and quiet. Exploring for yourself what is it like to sit like a mountain. Stable, present and grounded. Like a mountain rising up. An awareness wide and open, soft and sensitive. Through the whole body. a wide and open sky or a large and open ocean so this is going to be our practice today tuning in to the stability steadiness groundedness of the body as it sits like a mountain and knowing that mountain within a wide soft open awareness vast like the sky or like an ocean
It's helpful we can open within this grounded stability of the mountain. And the vastness of the sky can open to a particular range of phenomena, sounds or body sensations of breath. And we're meeting them from that sense of stability of the mountain, the vastness and openness of the sky. So let's practice in silence for a while.
Just gently opening to notice what's arising in experience right now. If the attention is fragmented, distracted, not adding judgment and aversion to the mix, acknowledging that and seeing that too as a movement in the vast sky of awareness, using the grounding and the stability of the body Come back to presence, capacity to sit like a mountain, stable and steady. Large and diverse. As we reconnect with that stability and that grounding, naturally letting go of the movement of mind. Just resting. So this possibility of sitting like a mountain. Awareness filling and permeating the whole space of the body, fast and open. Fast and open.
over and over. Steady and stable like a mountain. Vast and open like the sky. Grounding and rooting. The support of the earth. The support of our intentions. The support of all the goodness in the world. Letting awareness be vast and open through the whole body and beyond. Rooted in the earth, open to the sky. Receiving whatever phenomena arises, whether it's the anchor, the object of our practice, whether it's a so-called distraction, letting it pass through like the wind that passes through the mountainside, like the clouds that travel through the sky, over and over 
moment by moment by moment. Steady like a mountain. Fast and open like the sky. May our practice together be a support and a nourishment for each of us. And may our practice together be a support and a nourishment for the well-being of all beings everywhere and for the well-being of the earth. So taking your time in the transition, not rushing.
I'd just like to offer some uh, reflections on dana before we flow into the teachings for this session. As many of you know, these um, sessions are offered in the spirit of dana, freely offered, you know, entrance fee uh, to come in, and they're offered freely both from Gaia House and from myself as the teacher of this session. And there's the invitation to support this offering. It's possible because of uh, a community of support made up of all of us. And so I'm going to post two links in the chat. Um, The second one will be the uh, link to the Guy House support page. Uh, If you wish to offer support to Guy House, you can do that by following that link. Uh, The first one is if you wish to offer support to me, then I am still asking for that to go to um, the people of Ukraine. Uh, It's a different link this time to the one I've been using recently. This is an organization called Nova Ukraine. It's a Ukrainian organization working on the ground uh, and doing very beautiful work. So um, you can also just follow that link (laughs) and see what they're doing. It can be pretty inspiring. So that's the dana for me and the dana for Gaia House. Just a sec. It's a little bit too clever. If that's ever possible to do. Just coming. Beautiful practice, the practice of dana. And it can take many, many forms, as we all know. So I'd like uh, today um, for the teachings. Let's have a drink. To um, use a, a sutta from the texts, and I'll kind of read parts of it, and then kind of offer some reflections on, on different parts. This uh, sutta is called the Hataka Sutta. So Hataka, as we'll see, is the name of a person. Um, and it's for the num- from the numbered discourses, which are often the abbreviation is A, capital A, capital N, uh, 3.35, in case you're interested. So here's the first part of the sutta. So I have heard... At one time the Buddha was staying near Alavi on a mat of leaves by a cow path in a grove of Indian rosewood. (laughs) Beautiful description. Where where were you, Buddha? On holiday I was on a mat of leaves by a cow path in a grove of Indian rosewood. Then as Hataka, this person of Alavi, was going for a walk, he saw the Buddha sitting on that mat of leaves. He went up to the Buddha, bowed, sat down to one side and said, Sir, I trust the Buddha slept well. Starting some small talk. Did you sleep well? And here's the Buddha's response. Yes, Prince. So Hataka's a prince. Yes, Prince, I slept well. I am one of those who sleep at ease in the world. 
Yeah, I'm just going to repeat that. Yes, Prince, I slept well. I am one of those who sleep at ease in the world. Yeah. And just what a... <laughs> I was reading this the other day and I thought, oh, wow, what a statement. You know, I am one of those who sleep at ease in the world. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, very profound and very moving statement. Um, and I just want to invite us to feel how it impacts us. Yeah, to hear that. Yeah. I am one of those who sleep at ease in the world. Yeah. How does it feel for us in the body, in the heart and mind? And when we hear that, yeah, there are those who sleep at ease in the world. Yeah. What, does that, what does that feel like for us? What does it generate? Yeah. Hopefully, uh, it generates some curiosity and it generates some inspiration. Yeah for us yeah. and, and this curiosity this question of like um, how does one become yeah that how does one become one of those who sleep at ease yeah. how, do, you know, how does one become that yeah. and it might be interesting even if you're you know even if you are a good sleeper <laughs> it could be interesting to, to be curious what, what is the Buddha speaking about and how how does one become one of those people. And of course, the prince also is curious, right? It's quite a statement. You know, you just ask someone, you're just chit-chatting. Oh, how did you sleep? And you just step while well, I didn't sleep. And then this person says, well, I am one of those who sleep well in the world, sleep at ease in the world, and there's some curiosity. So the prince questions the Buddha, and he says, the winter nights are cold, sir, and it's the week of midwinter. It's the heart of winter. When the snow falls, it's really cold, yeah? Rough is the ground trampled under the cow's hoofs, and thin is the mat of leaves, yeah? The leaves are sparse on the trees. The ochre robes are thin, yeah? Your clothes are thin. And cold blows the north wind, yeah? And yet, yeah, the Buddha says... Yes, Prince, I slept well. I am one of those who sleep at ease in the world. And he's kind of saying, like, how can this be? You know, he's given us this very, um, this very, um, like, uh, detailed description of the conditions, right? You're outdoors. <laughs> There's barely any leaves to cover the hard ground. It's really cold. You've only got these thin ochre robes that you wear. Like how can you how how can you be at ease? How can you sleep at ease in the world? What are you talking about? Yeah. And he's describing so clearly uh, both the Buddha's um, the conditions in which he sleeps, but also his own per perplexity. Right? It comes across. It's like what? <laughs> like how how can you sleep at ease in those conditions? And the Buddha, of course, responds. Yeah. And here's his response. And he says, well then, Prince, I will ask you a question in return. Yeah. And you can answer as you like. What do you think? Take the case of a householder or his son who lives in a bungalow, plastered inside and out, draught-free, with latches fastened and windows shuttered. 
His couch is spread with woolen covers, shag-piled, pure white, or embroidered with flowers. You see, the Buddha's also goes into quite a lot of details here. <laughs> and spread with a fine deer hide. It has a canopy above and red pillows at both ends. An oil lamp is burning there while this person's four wives attend to him in all manner of agreeable ways. What do you think, Prince? Would he sleep at ease or not? How do you see this? So the Buddha's describing, um, you know, this very luxurious uh, situation, and he's asking the prince, what do you think? Would this person sleep at ease? And there's the prince's response. He would sleep at ease, sir. Of those who sleep at ease in the world, he would be one. So that's the prince's uh, response. So these can sound to us and to the prince, except unless we know, you know, the Buddha asks trick questions, right? So unless we've got that kind of going in our mind, we would think, oh yeah, that sounds really comfortable, yeah? You know, it's conditions for easeful sleep. There's safety, there's warmth, there's beauty, there's pleasure, yeah? Everything is there to create easeful uh, sleep. So that's what, you know, definitely what the prince thinks. And probably if we're really honest, we would say, yeah, that's what we think a lot of the time as well. That's the conditions. But the Buddha is asking us to look further, yeah? And so he's asking the prince, he's also, of course, speaking to us. Yeah, via the prince. And here's his question. And he says, What do you think, prince? Is it not possible that a fever born of greed, physical or mental, yeah, physical greed or mental greed, might arise in that householder or that householder's son, burning him so that he sleeps badly? Yeah. What do you think, prince? Is it not possible that a fever born of greed, physical or mental, might arise in that household or householder's son, burning him so he sleeps badly? And of course, we know what the prince answers, right? Yes, that's possible. <laughs> because we know that. Yeah, we might be in the most comfortable situation, and yet a fever will burn us so that we sleep badly. So we know this, and I think at least in my experience, um, and I think for most of us, we also know that again and again we forget. Yeah, We know this and yet we forget this. Um, we forget the fever, and I think that's a really beautiful, potent, powerful way of describing you know, this. The fever uh, that arises in us, yeah, and it burns away contentment and ease. Yeah? The fever of greed, m- mental or physical, yeah? which is itself a burning that disturbs and distracts, yeah? and that creates the opposite of ease, yeah? creates unease and restlessness. And that's why this description of fever is so potent. Uh, and we know that. Yeah? We know both the sense of like either wanting something, which then takes away from being able to appreciate what is actually here. Yeah? And we also know the fever that that wanting can bring. Yeah. The fever that that wanting can bring in the thoughts, in the body. 
And I think the, you know, it's quite clear, this is a teaching tool the Buddha is using here. So he's not just offering this story so that we just feel stupid <laughs> and bad and silly. Yeah? He's offering this to us as a reminder um, that there are possibilities, that we can go beyond this habit of the fever of greed. Yeah? We can see it, first of all, which allows a letting go. Yeah? And over time, uh, we can weaken it more and more until it is extinguished. So this is a fever, and it's helpful to see it in that way. It's a fever that's burning our bodies, burning our heart and mind, uh, with its discontent, yeah, with its frenzy. That desire for something to bring us happiness, which actually in itself is creating unhappiness. Yeah? That's the fever. That's why he, he uses this word. Um, it brings contraction. It brings disease. And of course, it's really important to see this is happening in a, the immediacy of our own experience. This fever is bringing suffering to us in the immediacy of our experience and over time to ourselves but it is also burning up our world yeah it's not just a fever that's burning up the individual it's a fever that's burning and destroying the world it's impacting others yeah it's impacting others and we can you know really reflect on this you know we have many of us you know not all of us but many of us we have more than we need yeah? We have more than we need. And yet, on some level, that is very rarely enough. Yeah? Very rarely enough. Yeah? So that greed itself, that movement that is also fed when we allow it yeah, to come forth. Yeah? It's strengthened when we allow it to um, kind of play out this fever in us. Uh, the greed itself is like a fe fever or a burning that's impacting our sleep. Yeah, just that movement. We might know it. You know, lying in bed and planning how we're going to do something perfectly. Yeah, so that we get that thing. Yeah? But also the manifestations of that greed. So the greed does not just stay internal, of course in us, the manifestations of it into thought, into speech and into action yeah? they bring more restlessness yeah? they bring more agitation, they bring more fever yeah? through regret yeah? and through agitation because we know yeah? we know a lot of the time that we have not acted yeah, in accordance to our intentions and our aspirations and what we really value. Yeah, so we can see on these different levels how that fever of greed impacts us. And yet there is another possibility. Yeah. There's another possibility, and this is what the Buddha is pointing to again and again. It often can feel like he's kind of shining a mirror, you know, putting a mirror in front of us that can bring a sense of despair and dishearten us. But it's not that that he wants to happen. It's not that which the teachings are pointed to. They're pointing to possibility. And so here's the Buddha again. And he says, The greed that burns that householder or householder's son, making them sleep badly, that has been cut off at the root by the realized one, by the Buddha. Made like the stump of a tree. 
obliterated and unable to arise in the future. That is why I sleep at ease. Yeah? Because I have cut this at the root, says the Buddha. Yeah? I have cut this at the root. So this habit of greed, this habit of the fever or fevers, yeah, can be changed, attended to, transformed. Yeah? This is something we are doing through our practice. And that's what the Buddha is showing us. He's, his capacity to sleep at ease, not because of external conditions, yeah, but because of the ease cultivated in the mind, yeah? internal conditions. Cutting off of that movement of greed at the root. Yeah? Internal conditions rather than external ones, determining the quality of our experience and the quality of our sleep is the example here. So we can cultivate contentment, yeah? a sense of abundance, a sense of generosity, rather than greed. Yeah? This is something we can develop and the teachings again and again are encouraging us to do that. To let go of the unwholesome and to cultivate the wholesome. And this is a, a movement, a dual movement that's mutually supporting. Yeah, we cultivate yeah, a sense of contentment. We cultivate a sense of abundance we, and appreciation. We cultivate generosity. Yeah? And that really weakens the strength of that self-centered greed and desire. Yeah. And we notice when that fever of greed arises and we notice it as a fever, we see this is not actually, it does not feel good, even though it's telling us a story. Telling us a story. And as we see that, we let go. And so contentment, um, appreciation, generosity, rather than greed and desire, uh, meta compassion and goodwill rather than hatred and aversion. This is the second fever that the Buddha speaks about. Yeah. Wisdom and understanding rather than ignorance and delusion. Yeah. And within that wisdom, there's honesty yeah. and there's questioning. And there's that willingness to again and again wake up from, you know, these moments of delusion that we get caught up in again, of thinking, ah, that is what's going to bring me happiness, lasting happiness. So the quietening of the fevers of greed, of hatred, and of ignorance is what our path is about. It's how it's spoken of sometimes. And it's possible for us. It's possible for us. And it's interesting, and as I've mentioned, and I want to emphasize it again, these Fevers of greed, of hatred, and of ignorance, you know, they're personal, they exist in each of us, but they're also in our societies, yeah? They're also in the structures through which we see and experience the world, yeah? The, you know, the kind of feverishness and disease of the consumer culture, yeah? We can see that by, 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 yeah? That's what brings happiness. Yeah, having, getting. Yeah. The the fevers of, of hatred and aversion. Yeah. Yes, that's very close to our hearts at the moment, right? Because the war in Ukraine is close to most of us physically. 
And we see what those energies can do in the world. But as we know, it didn't start with Ukraine. And the fact that the majority of governments spend more on what is called defense, (laughs) which is actually a form of aggression, than on on health and social welfare and environmental protection. So we see that it's in our institutions and it's important, I feel, to us also see that. And the ignorance, right, which is at the core of all of this, that ignorance both of not remembering what really matters and of believing some of the things we've been taught or that we're being told. And the ways we kind of fall into that. Yeah. Ignorance not as stupidity but as not knowing. Yeah. And also in you know, also sometimes translated as delusion of not seeing clearly. Yeah. What brings happiness and what is our impact yeah, on the world that we live in. And I just want to give a little example. I don't know how many of you are aware of this going on now, but Greenpeace has this big um, project at the moment called the Big Plastic Count, <laughs> and it's based on one person who made an experiment, and he collected every piece of plastic that he used for a year. Yeah, and then he stood and he was just shocked at how much that was. And so now, uh, as a form of changing consciousness, they're asking people like us for one week to collect our plastic. Yeah and to kind of monitor how much that is. So if, if you haven't heard about it and you want to, to kind of participate, it's really cool. The big plastic count, Greenpeace, yeah? So that we kind of, and, and what would that do? You can even imagine yourself faced with the amount of plastic you generate in a week, yeah, for most of us. Yeah. And that is a movement from ignorance, from not seeing, because if we just put one piece in the bin every time, yeah? That's different than actually seeing how much is this. Hmm. I was thinking about this also in regards. I was, um, on Wednesday, I was invited to an iftar meal, you know, the end of the Ramadan fast meal with some friends in Palestine. And everything is disposable, right? Because that's the that's the easy thing to do you have a big meal with guests so you just use disposable and they haven't got the option to buy sustainable (laughs) yeah disposable stuff it's just plastic and I was just I was really like wow you know they haven't got the option to make that choice yeah it's not available for them yeah and we have (laughs) most of us yeah? Not only what we buy, but also we have the options to reduce. So, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. But <laughs> the, the kind of, the urgency of these things is taking over. It's important to see these possibilities that we have, the movement from not seeing to seeing, yeah? opening our eyes yeah, to what impact uh, we have. Yeah, I'll give another example. I was having a conversation with my sister yesterday, um, I'm here in Israel at the moment and talking about, you know, the situation. And then, you know, my my sister and brother-in-law, who I love dearly and are very liberal in their views, using this phrase, there are two sides. <laughs> yeah, there are two sides. And that triggers me 
you know, that triggers me because saying there are two sides kind of means the responsibility is equally shared. Uh, and I said that to them, you know, we could talk about that. I said, no, you know, when you say that, what it implies is the responsibility is equally shared. And it is not. <laughs> it's not equally shared. There's one side that has a lot more power in this dynamic than the other. Yeah? So it's not equally shared. So we had a very long conversation, but I think doing that, yeah, even when you're triggered, not, <laughs> not bursting out in anger, but actually stopping, holding, saying, ah, Let's look at this. Do you notice what you're saying? Yeah. This is how it's meeting me. This is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And so these movements, yeah, from ignorance, from the unseen to the seen, yeah, so important for us. Um, remembering this is what the path is about. Yeah. It's about the quenching of these fevers, the quenching of the fires, yeah, that are destroying our own well-being. Yeah. And that we can see clearly. Yeah, are at the root of all destructive forces in our in our world and in our societies. And this is possible for us. It's impossible for us as individuals. It's possible for us um, as communities. Yeah. It's possible for us. This is the most important message. Yeah, we can see what truly leads to ease and well being. Yeah. And in the Buddha's words, for myself and for others. <laughs> yeah. And what truly leads to fever, to dis-ease, yeah? to suffering, yeah? in myself, yeah? for myself, and for others. It's the same thing. <laughs> yeah? But it's important that we see that, and it's important that we look in that way. Yeah? So we see and we learn. Yeah? And that gives us the motivation to nourish understanding, to deepen understanding, to cultivate those qualities that we already have yeah, that lead to the opposite. And to feel the ease that opens when the fever quietens. Yeah. To feel that ease that opens when the fever quietens. And, you know, it's very much what happens to us physically after we've been ill. <laughs> yeah, that, that's just that turning point when suddenly we feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you've got an ongoing health conditions, the fluctuations, yeah, when you feel ah there's more energy now. And how important it as it is to feel that, to know that. Yeah. To know that feeling, to know that release again and again and again, because that gives us the taste of freedom that we're searching for. That gives us the taste of the happiness and well being that are available for us. Yeah. And that are not reliant on things going our way externally. Yeah. All the time. Mm-hmm. But the inner yeah. The inner conditions. And so in the Sutta the Buddha uh, questions the prince again, yeah, the same using the same kind of question around the fever of just like with the fever of greed, the fever of hatred and the fever of delusion or ignorance. And he shows again, yeah, that ignorance, that delusion, that hatred, yeah, burns, yeah, in the same way that greed burns. Yeah. And these have been cut off at the root, yeah, for the the realized one, for the Buddha. Yeah. They are unable to arise in the future. That's why I sleep at ease. And he 
ends the sutta by saying, a person who is fully extinguished, yeah, the fevers are extinguished, always sleeps at ease. Sensual pleasures slip off them. Yeah, they just slip off. They don't create this grasping. They're cooled and free of attachments. Since they've cut off all clinging and removed the stress from the heart, the peaceful sleep at ease, having found peace of heart and mind. So yeah, that's what I wanted to share today. And I am as always really happy to open to questions or comments, uh, including disagreements. (laughs) You can say or ask anything. Um, It's all really, really welcome. And you can either use the chat if you prefer or if you wish, you can unmute and ask the question or use the raised hand function, then I'll call on you. Um, Yeah, everything's welcome, so let's see. Any questions, any comments, all welcome. Wonderful. It's a big question and it's a really important one and I think one that, um, yeah, requires um, continuous asking. So I'm saying that because uh, I will very gladly respond, but don't be dissatisfied with my response. Yeah, Keep inquiring for yourself um, around this. You know, what does it mean? And, and it actually brings us uh, right to the core of the understanding of what compassion means um, and also uh, what the wisdom yeah, in the teachings is asking us. So that kind of phrase from, from Tara Brach of saying, you know, that your awakening is as big as, as the kind of who you can include um, in, in, your, in your heart. Um, the Buddha was really skillful with language. And so he didn't just use words like compassion and metta. Yeah? He also used the negation of their opposite. So uh, he would often speak about non-enmity yeah, as a form of metta. Um, and he would also speak about non-harming as a form of compassion. Yeah? And I think that gives us, uh, it really shows the wisdom, right? Because when we think about, oh, having someone in our heart, <laughs> it's like, oh, I need to love them, right? Um, and then, and then we also get often confused with the the, the, the distinction between, um, and I'm talking to all of us, not just to you, because um, we also get confused between, you know, if I'm compassionate towards someone, that means that I lose the capacity and the possibility to um, stand up against their actions, yeah, and uh, work against their action or criticize them even, right? So. Yeah, so seeing, I think one thing that's really helpful is seeing our goal as non-enmity. And yes, for some of us, people like Boris Johnson, whoever it is that uh, kind of embodies what we find really difficult in the world, they are actually doing us. (laughs) Um, We can use them to our own good. Yeah, let's put it that way. We can use that as a practice opportunity and we can say, okay, this person, sometimes it's actually surprisingly easy um, with someone like that because with, but sometimes it's not. Yeah. But use 
using that saying, okay, this is a practice opportunity to generate that sense of both um, non-enmity towards someone and then the capacity to be holding someone uh, in awareness in their entirety and say, no, I am still going to speak out against what you're doing, but I'm going to do that uh, in a way that's actually good for me and good for the world, right? So without hatred, if I can. And of course, you'll still get caught up in moments of hatred, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but then you work with, with that and you bring the compassion to yourself to allow yourself to let go. You feel that fever of the hatred and you realize, no, this isn't doing any good to me or to anyone else. Yeah, doesn't do any good. It's, it does the opposite yeah, than, than, than what I want. That's the wisdom. We can see that. We let go of that. Uh, but we can really still stand up. We free up our energies to actually stand up um, for what we believe in and against the harm that's being caused. And I think, you know, that is so important that we do that. Yeah. I'm having a very long, ongoing conversation with my MP <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. And not giving up. Yeah. Not giving up. My latest email says, you know, you have the, you know, you've got the, um, you know, you've got the, the advantage. You can ignore mass emails. And when you send me what is obviously a mass response, because I've seen the same thing with other people, I don't have that privilege i can't ignore it i have to i have to respond yeah so please read my email again <laughs> actually respond to what i'm asking and we can do that without a sense of enmity yeah and also voicing that in a way that does not uh, you know voice hatred it's tricky it's a practice uh, for us but seeing that and, and seeing it as an invitation also remembering that the path is made up of many moments and we can have moments where our heart is that big yeah it includes everyone and then it shrinks again okay (laughs) that's what it does so i hope that i hope that made sense um sophia let me know if you want more clarifications because it was yeah i'm not i'm not that focused today um yeah Wonderful. Thank you. And yeah, you know, there's not just one way to to practice with things. So um, seeing this possibility and how amazing it is that we can actually find a way to practice um, with the body, even, you know, when the body is not feeling well and, and that you can bring your attention to different areas. And also when it's helpful to notice uh, the release of the, the, the fatigue in the body and when it's helpful to actually go into it like like you're doing some of the time and I think um, my experience at least has been that you know I've learned a lot from those who are you know living with ongoing health conditions about about the, the the capacities that we have as humans for that you know for turning our attention to different Um, aspects of our experience for um, listening to our body and letting it guide us uh, what's the right thing to do now Um, so yeah there's there's really a lot there and thank you for sharing Mm. just gonna there's a few things in the chat that I haven't read yet and I just want to see yeah Okay, yeah, there's a question um, around fear. Does fear stem from aversion and ignorance? Yeah, and not seeing clearly, yes. <laughs> um, on, on many levels it does, yeah. Of course, fear is often 
you know, it's, it's, it's tricky to, to really designate things super clearly because fear is often a very um, a, a, a physical, a bodily response to a situation also. Um, and often it's, it's also an alert for something that we need to pay attention to, right? The same with pain, yeah, in the body. It's like, yeah, does this actually, do I need to pay attention to something? Um, but yeah, exploring that experience of fear uh, to see what's conditioning it uh, right now. Um, but yeah, very often a mix of, of ignorance of not seeing clearly and aversion and or aversion um, will be there. Yeah. Um. Just want to see. If a question um, about the fever what about when you want to do something creative not much buying but it's still a plan yeah beautiful thanks for that question yeah I think there's often um, we need to really be open around these teachings because they seem to really imply a complete uh, extinguishing of um of these fevers, and as you say, creativity can also uh, manifest uh, as a as a as a feverishness. Yeah, um, and I think, like with the fear, this is something to explore. I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping you're not going to walk away from the session with a sense of just, you know, oh, this is greed, this is hatred, this is um, ignorance. Put a red cross on it and kind of throw it away. But actually, have a sense of the exploration um, of okay, what's here. Yeah, and what is it leading to? And often, um, our experience is, is is complex. Yeah, it can have different things in it. Um, so with creativity, yeah, it might lead to sleep to sleeplessness, <laughs> but it can be quite different in the energy of it. Right? There will be a a sense of well being, and it will be like, okay, yeah, of course, I'm I'm willing to give us some sleep, give up some sleep for this. Yeah. Um, but the distinguishing yeah, of when when is it like a fever that's like a like a something that's grabbing hold of us or we're grabbing hold of, of it um, and we're not choosing and when is that something that actually I'm wholeheartedly giving myself um, to so yeah it's not like planning is all bad <laughs> we actually need to do quite a bit of planning to survive and also to enjoy our lives yeah it's it's fine you know you're allowed to go on holidays <laughs> you're allowed to enjoy beauty you know like it's not oh no or like or you know we're not we're not um we're not monks and nuns uh in the way that the buddha was um and i think it's a, it's an important aspect of our lives but just being being i would say being interested in that process and seeing, yeah, where where is that creativity something that's really uh, nourishing something good in me and good in the world, and where does it become uh, an unhealthy type of fever? Yeah. Great. So anything else, any other questions?
questions or comments. Yeah, thank you. That's really a, a, yeah, another wonderful question and reflection. Yeah, so this is very, very common and normal, yeah, uh, both things. You know, one is, yeah, something like that, you know, love appears and it's all-consuming, right? And I think also seeing, not necessarily changing how you are with that, but just tuning in more to the love and the heart opening in it, yeah? So it's not, you don't need to dampen it down, <laughs> I would say, yeah? It's a beautiful thing and it's arising and it's rare, yeah? Not just for you, love is, there's not enough of it in the world. So, um, you know, that's, it's wonderful, yeah? And enjoy it, yeah? Enjoy it, don't, don't, you don't need to dampen it down, even if it's feverish, I would say, you know, explore for yourself, but I would say that. Um, and allowing yourself to enjoy and tuning in to the things in it that are heart opening, that are expanding, that are nourishing, right? Because then that will stay with you or through whatever happens, yeah? Through whatever happens, yeah? So that's, you know, it's a really powerful thing. And I think some of us, we know that, yeah? For people who have passed away and then there's something in that relationship that might still be nourishing us. Yeah, in that love, we also have that capacity. So, kind of, it kind of leads to the impermanence. But just say tuning into that rather than the part that I want, I want, I want, or like I'm trying to hold on to. Yeah, because we know that is that isn't helpful. Yes, I want this, and it's beautiful that I want this, and it's a good thing. And I'm just I'm not damping it down, but I'm tuning into the beauty, um, and the love, and and the, and the opening that it brings, and the expansion that it brings. Um, the impermanence part is. Again, something that that we forget a lot is that impermanence doesn't just say it's going to end. Therefore, don't get attached or end it now. I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but sometimes it's almost like, oh, it's not worth it because it's impermanent and it's not going to give me lasting happiness in the way that I want it to. But rather, just what I said now, it's impermanent. Therefore, it's precious. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> It's here right now, yeah, and can I open to that and appreciate it? Because it's like, a, you know, it's like seeing a, a flower bloom. And it's just like, oh, just in this moment, it's it's this, or a, or a sunset, or a sunrise, or something that really, something really beautiful in the world here. Yeah, so really enjoying it and letting the impermanence, yes, you know, impermanence is, is there, we don't know, how long anything is going to last, including ourselves. Um, and yet that doesn't mean that we need to have it there as like a warning light, but more as an encouragement. Yeah, it's like more as an encouragement and a support to, to, to live well now, to enjoy what is present, what is available now. Yeah, that's what I would, uh, I would suggest. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, for that question and all the questions, also the listening and the um, practice. And wonderful as always to be with you. Um, I will be here next week and uh, hope it's a fruitful, interesting um, 
week of recognizing fever when it arises and working with it skillfully. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's what we're interested in. So go well, everyone, and see you soon.